0: How's it going? Good Wednesday to you. This is the Nomic, uh, a midweek read from Sunday Letters. I'm Larry McGuire. This week, um, I was reading little bits and pieces from uh, a book by Jeremy Rifkin called The End of Work. It was published around 95, 96. And uh, he was talking about technology. Now, at that time, and its impacts on, on the workforce, at that time, the internet was only like it was brand new, straight out of the packet. I remember I, I stayed for a little while in uh, Cleveland, Ohio, with an aunt of mine uh, when I landed in 96. Was it 96? It would have been, yeah, around March. It was around March. Anyway, uh, she said to me, oh, the internet's a computer in the in the study and it has the Internet if you want to get online. And I'm kind of going to go on to myself. I was 20 years of age. I said, uh, the Internet? What, what's she talking? So I went in anyway one evening and I checked this thing out and I was like, oh, yeah, this is a load of bollocks. it will never catch on. <laughs> yeah, right. So anyway, um, this is when the internet was just landing and uh, Rifkin was writing about technology and how technology was going to reshape the workforce, the global workforce, and that bazillions of people are going to be out of work. And um, I suppose in one sense he was right in the fact that uh, people who are doing manual and manual jobs um, jobs that needed people to put stuff together and all that kind of thing, manufacturing um, found themselves eventually our work. I mean, there's no there are very few uh, manufacturing jobs in advanced economies like the US, the UK, the Eurozone, etc. Uh Labour intensive jobs have moved to China, although they're catching up in terms of costs, India, uh, the Pacific region. So where labour is cheap, and that's, I suppose, a, a result of globalisation. So he was right in that sense that people at that time doing labour intensive jobs would lose those jobs. Well, I mean, all those people have retired now, or a lot of them who would have been in their, in their uh, you know, regular working roles, but, um, subsequently people ended up doing other things and we've been employed in the technology sector. So instead of the wor- work being manually intensive, now it's brain intensive and it's all about service. So millions of people are involved in employed in the service industry. Um, in, in, hotels and restaurants and all that kind of stuff and bars, uh, but also in serving the needs through sales and marketing uh, the needs of corporations and what have you sales and marketing uh, tech support, all that kind of stuff. So people are sitting at desks and they're tapping on keyboards and computers and the internet is work. You know, people can work from home, although corporations are taking advantage of that. So long story short, uh, the workforce has shifted from digging holes to tapping on keyboards on desks. And um, Michael Gerber said, uh, when did he say it? I think it was around, he wrote for Stripe Magazine in 2013 and he wrote about bullshit jobs. And uh, he subsequently wrote a book on the same topic. As it happens, he died last year in, was it in Italy? He was with his wife. During the COVID, he died. Not sure if it was covered related, but David Gerber wrote in 2013 on the the subject of what he believed was bullshit jobs. So people were doing work for the sake of it, um, but in a bad way. the, the jobs were 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 really meaningless and that uh, they had no substance. Regardless, people are doing other things, and in today's short article, uh, I highlight the case of the coal mines in the north of England, and during the 80s, Thatcher, the Thatcher government shut the mines and thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people were out of work, and it had a huge social impact. You know, the whole north of England was devastated by uh, the loss of these jobs. Now, arguably, you could say that those people are now doing something else, or the ones directly affected at the time have now retired or maybe have passed away or whatever. But the north of England is doing other things now. And uh, maybe those towns and villages that were vibrant centers of uh, connection for people have gone. Maybe that's gone. And maybe that's a a downside to all these things, ripping apart of the social fabric. But I would argue, were those jobs really to anyone's benefit? Hundreds of thousands of men, tens of thousands of men going down under the ground, digging holes. And digging out coal. I mean, really, were were we, was that going to last? So that's what happens, you see, when industry says, we need people for this. And then people on the other side of the coin, they go flooding into these jobs because I suppose it's made easy for them uh, to go and get a job. You know, you need money to live, so you pick up a job. Maybe you do what your dad did, or maybe you, you just... Um, do what most of the village does or the town does and in you go, you get your job so it's almost by default we do this and then all of a sudden the corporation or the government or whatever say no we're not doing this anymore, those jobs are gone and tens of thousands of people are left out of work and they're devastated by it whole communities are devastated by it and that's what happens when we when we trust others to give us work to to feed us, you know, that's what we're at it was the same in, in Cork recently, in recent years in Ireland, when Dell shifted their whole facility to Poland. Thousands of people were affected. And I look at Intel, um, who have a huge base, their European base in Leakslip, and they've taken over vast tracts of land uh, from farm. We won't get into that, but in any event, this I don't know, six, seven 7,000, 8,000 people employed. Maybe another... 7 or 8000 indirectly servicing uh, the needs of the people from the plant people come from everywhere they actually move to Kildare to work in intel and uh, what happens if intel decide a corporate level that they're moving out they shut everything down and people are they might do it in a sta- on a stage basis but the point i'm trying to make is when a corporate when a corporation decide it's no longer viable to carry out this function in this particular area or country or whatever off they go to a cheaper area or they get robots to do it, and then um, it has a huge impact right now. Eventually, those people will go on and do other things, but uh, maybe that's a generation later, and everyone is devastated by that decision. So although um, back in 1996, uh, Rifkin was accurate in, in terms of how technology would impact work and traditional work would be lost, People found other things to do, but there's still a problem. And the problem is that we are too reliant on corporate entities and we go in our thousands and tens of thousands and millions and we work for them and they say they give us money and we're really not in control of our work. And I've been writing about this for some time now, the absence of control or command of our own work. So we go into those jobs and we subjugate ourselves to the role and we pretend to be something that maybe we're not we fulfill, some of us fulfil the role quite successfully and we get on with it and we do and we get paid and we go through the motions um, and then the corporation decides to do something else and then you're out on your ear and my argument is that real security you know, we, we say we're looking for job security we might, we might be promised a job we might believe there's a, the promise of a job for life here but really that's not the case and I think this is happening on a global scale we realize that jobs are not secure or are we do we do we actually realize that i'm not so sure i don't i don't know but real security is actually counterintuitive it's outside of the fold it's away from the group it's away from masses of people all doing the same thing if you see a million people going that way you go the other way because when you're in that crowd you can't see the holes in the ground your view is obstructed you can't see when that Whole group of people are heading for the edge of a cliff. And that's what happens when an economy collapses, when there are millions of people employed in a particular sector. And all of a sudden, that sector collapses because, I don't know, corporate greed, call it that if you want. Uh, the industry collapses, the boys at the top get all the bread, and the workers get fuck all. And this is the danger. And we think there's security in getting a job and working for the man, you know, but when really there isn't. So the only real security there is been banging on about this for ages is working for yourself is going out and doing your own thing and i realize that you know this people listening to this are in very small number and uh, this message might not get across to a lot of people but anyone who can hear me anyone who's ever worked for themselves will testify that despite the challenges working for yourself is a far better prospect than working for someone else i think so anyway haven't been haven't done both. Uh, Having done the worker role, gone working for myself for 20 years, done the worker role again, and then gone back working for myself again, I can tell you that for me, the best place to be is self-employed. And uh, you can move quickly. Um, You can avoid the whole road and let the waves of people go over the edge if they want. You can do your own thing. And that's the advantage. So I wrote about that a little bit today in uh, the midweek read from Sunday Letters called Nomic. and uh, usually this is reserved for paying subscribers. But today it's free and everyone can read it and everyone can comment on us. Um, if you'd like to get the Nomic every week, uh, become a paid subscriber. You can grab a 20 percent discount today. You get it for four quid a month you uh, you get Sunday Letters as well. You will get the audio, you get the full shebang. You'll get your invite to the Sunday Letters community on Discord, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Maybe that's valuable. I don't know. If you like what I'm doing, if you like what I write, if you like what I record, well, then consider becoming a subscriber. Four quid a month today. That's for 20% off or 40 quid a year. And you'll be helping me by supporting me in my work and putting your hand in your pocket and saying, yeah, what you're doing is worth it. I think it's worth four quid a month. There you are. I mean, you pay that for a coffee and you do it with, without even thinking about it. So uh, if this bloke is sitting at his desk thinking and reading and researching and writing and recording material uh, that I think matters, maybe it matters to you too. and if you think it's worth it, well then support me what I'm doing if you have four quid a month. all right uh, and closing on that. There's an invite to the Sunday Letters Discord community. It's at the bottom of the, uh, today's short essay. And uh, I hope to see you there next week, next Monday evening at 7 o'clock. I'm having a chat with Dimitri uh, about ethics, uh, right and wrong, good and bad, good and evil. Is good and bad, right and wrong, a matter of social convention? Is it a relative thing or is there something fundamental in the human? I don't know what you call it. In this animal, this human being we call ourselves that says this is right and this is wrong. Is there something fundamental beyond ideology, beyond religion, beyond philosophy, psychology, uh, sociology, all of these uh, aspects of study that we attempt that we use in our attempt to understand ourselves well that's the conversation we're having next week so hopefully hopefully you'll join us there on discord there's a link at the bottom of the article today Uh, and that's all I've got for you I shall see you uh, on Sunday for Sunday letters thanks for listening take care of yourselves